Welcome, welcome, welcome to the PRISM Podcast. We tell the stories that Hollywood won't. I'm your host, Rodrigo Mariano. Hope you're doing well. Across from me on this wonderful Zoom call is director Neil Kumar, director of Beneath the Sea of Light, starring Academy Award nominee Barka Dabdi and Bollywood actor Jim Sarb. How are you doing today, Neil? I am very well. How are you? I'm doing all right. How, how's COVID pandemic life treating you? Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm, I, I'm trying to use the time. You know, I say cool. There are a lot of people out there that are not having, uh, you know, um, uh, they're, they're, they're really fighting on the front lines of this. But I think for people like us um, who make stuff, it's, it's an interesting time because it kind of forces you to uh, come to terms with all the work that you said that you would do one day. Exactly. You kind of put off. So it's because I'm uh, I'm not in a comfort zone at all. Uh, even though I'm pretty pretty happy to be kind of locked down. We're in Paris at the moment. I live here with my girlfriend, and uh, Paris is under like total lockdown. Uh, oh really? Yeah, it's the second one now. So uh, it's going to be at least at least for the next couple of weeks, probably longer. Yeah. Right now, LA County is in lockdown, but right now yeah. around the East Coast, we're we're just chilling right now. But the lockdown is imminent. Definitely by the end of the month, uh, as the aftermath of Thanksgiving and the start of the holidays, there's definitely yeah. going to be more stuff going down. And, and I hope it gets better soon, but who knows? Um, but of course, thank you for coming on. Like, thank you for spending your time with us. It means a lot to us uh, over at Prism. And, and, and since the audience doesn't know too much about the film, I'm just going to say the synopsis that I found on Showtime really quick. Um, a Somali billboard repairman working in Dubai decides he wants to experience some of products advertised on his billboards. It's an experience that begins innocently enough, but quickly spins out of control, especially when a con man enters the picture. I look like a million dollars wearing this suit. You know these things on our billboards? It's easy to get caught up in them. Bagger, are you back to your dreamland, eh? One day I'm gonna wear that watch. Sir, I wanna work in sales. I can do it. I work hard. I'm a people person. You haven't even finished school. Nobody in the city will offer you a better job if you haven't finished school. So this is all I'm worth. You're worth more than that, aren't you? Apparently not. The only way you'll get any of that stuff is if you steal it. I'm not a thief. No. <laughs> but you are a dreamer. Good thieves are dreamers. If you don't know how to take care of what you have, then you don't deserve it. One more for the list. What's left? It's gonna chase me. How fast are you willing to run for 40,000 dirhams? isn't up to you, man. Staying poor is a choice.
anything uh, you want to say to build on that for the people unfamiliar with the film? Um, I don't know, really. It's such a weird story. Um, no, I think, I mean, I think that sums it up. Um, you know, I think their pitch was better than my pitch. Yeah, I had the first half of that. So, I, you know, people ask me what's the movie about. And in a sentence, I say um, a Somali billboard repairman in Dubai who tries to experience uh, the products on his billboards meets a con artist who takes him under his wing. And uh, I think Showtime did a pretty cool job of, uh, of expanding on that. So I'm quite happy about that. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird story. It's a weird setting. Uh, they're weird characters. And when I say weird, it's, I mean, it's not what you're, uh, what I'm used to seeing, you know, on a film in, in, in Hollywood or, 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 you know, these aren't characters that I'm used to seeing. So I'm, I'm quite proud of that. And then I'm quite scared at the same time, because does that mean that <laughs> maybe we should have done something different? No, that's perfect because um, film from what I perceive is just a great place to um, vocalize the voices that haven't been told their stories yet. And a Somali billboard repairman working in Dubai perfectly sums up a story that has not been told yet. So congratulations on Thank you. I really appreciate it to tell his story or a story similar to that one. Um, before we get into talking about the film, I'm just curious, what have you been watching? What have you been listening to during the pandemic? And uh, yeah. That's a really good question. Jeez. Uh, um, so, it, okay, movies, what have I been watching? Um, I posted, um, uh, like I had a post on Reddit about the movie and a couple of people mentioned uh, the Safdie brothers. And I'd seen Uncut Gems, uh, which I enjoyed, but I hadn't seen a movie called Good Time. And Barkhart's actually in the film. So I watched, uh, the last movie I saw was two days ago, which was Good Time. And uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it's really <laughs> frantic, really frantic. Very, oh, very yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that's the last film I saw. And, uh, you know, musically, I, like, what do I listen to? Uh, I think my, my favorite artists are Ryan Adams and uh, Gregory Allen Isaacov. So they're on repeat. Plus a guy called, a Canadian guy uh, called Kenny Yates. He's, I think, not super famous or anything yet, but amazing, amazing uh, singer-songwriter. And it's perfect lockdown music, like the three of them, <laughs> along with the national. That's like my soundtrack of 2020, I think. You're so, a musician yeah. too, right? Uh, yes. How, how did you find that out? Uh, uh, and you posted the singles and while I was doing research oh. and help. But. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on a, so yeah, I'm using lockdown as well to, I'm writing a screenplay for the new film and, uh, and I'm working on a record, uh, quietly. Oh, perfect. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, the music's, I, I release it, but it's, it's mostly just for me. Uh, it's okay. a, yeah, it's a, no pressure on the music, you know, uh, of course, of course. But it's a great like outlet that I don't have to worry about. I can just do whatever I feel it. Like. Yeah. But the uncut gems and good time are, are great movies. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uncut Jumps was actually filmed like right next door to me. I live right next to the casino at the third act, which is pretty cool. Oh nice. Uh, yeah, no, I love Good Time too. Wow, the Stafford brothers are just like really, really stressful filmmakers. That that's yeah, good. like their films are very fast. Very anxiety inducing. Going on. Yeah. Like they talk over each other all the time. It's just like, yeah. ah, overwhelming. And uh, look, I've seen two, uh, so I can't, I can't speak for their, I think they, they have, a, um, they had another film out in 2014. I don't know if it's just the three or there, there are more, but the characters they deal with, they're, they're dark. Um, they're flawed, they're dark. They're very, they're very real. I, and I love that. I, I, I love flawed characters. 
uh, I love people that aren't uh, doing um, all all the right things and saying all the right things at the right time. Um, I'm really interested in people like that. Um, so yeah, it's 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 uh, you know even though my, the stories that I would tell would be very different, I think the the fact that they have this inherent um, darkness to them, and when I say darkness, I just mean like a reality to them. Mm -hmm. I find really really interesting. So I find the characters interesting as well, not just the filmmaking style, you know. Um, since you're bringing up character, I'm just curious because I have this debate with a lot of friends that I have at Emerson. Where would you put character in like the priority list of how to approach storytelling? Because personally, character is paramount to literally everything else to me. Yeah, it's first. For me, it's first as well. Okay. Uh, it's cool to hear you say that because, you know, I say that to people uh, who ask, um, you know, or we talk about this stuff and... Uh, you know, they ask me, like, what's the most important thing about writing? Um, uh, and, like, for me, the toughest part of filmmaking um, is, is the writing part. And, so, and the toughest part of writing is, is the character. And you, you got to get the character right. It's not really about the words. You know, I tell people a lot that writing is not about words. And they look at me like, huh? And, um, yeah, really. And, if, you know, if you, I mean, th these are for the kind of stories that I, I would like to continue telling. Um, the, the, the movie starts and ends with the character because the character has an arc and they either learn something or they fail to learn something, right? Mm -hmm. And if they don't learn something or fail to learn something through the story, then the audience doesn't pick up anything from the story. And then you're really wasting people's time. So you know, um, a lot of people say, okay, not every film has to have that, like action movies, right? Uh, but the best superhero movies, in my opinion, I'm not a huge fan of superhero movies, but the best ones um, for me were the ones where it's full of action, but you've got a very clear character uh, arc or your character, like uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman series, you know, I think are, are definitely my favorite superhero films. Um, and... Uh, I, I mean, I could go down this this rabbit hole for hours, but yeah, yeah, no, that's the question. <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell, I think character is absolutely the most important thing. Character is what writing is all about, and uh, so I would put it, as you said, right at right at the top. Um, you know, and ironically, uh, I was having this conversation with my uh, my cinematographer, uh, my 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 partner as well. Like we run the the, the production company together, um, and we worked together for ten years. And uh, for him, as a, as a cinematographer, the most important thing for him is, is character. And, uh, you know, we've been learning about writing and how to write or how not to write uh, together, you know, for the last 10 years. And for him, if he doesn't know what his character is doing in a scene, he doesn't know how to light it. And I think oh. that tells you everything you need to know. That's uh, fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool way to approach cinematography. Because there are so many uh, directors and DOPs. Um, that are amazing at commercials and making something look good, or music videos, making something look good. I'm really bad at that. I'm not a visual director. Uh, I'm more of a story director. And, um, you know, if I was working with another cinematographer, I would really want to work with someone who understands character. Like, I think Vittorio Storaro, uh, when he wrote a book, he called it Writing with Light, you know, and that also tells you everything you need to know. I think character yeah. is really the most important part uh, of, of cinema. Uh, in, for the kind of movies that I want to, you know, make. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it, it's so interesting because I feel like a lot of people don't pick up on that. And also, like, 
yeah, going back to the studios making giant franchise movies, the, the best ones and the ones that make the most amount of money is the ones with characters that you could relate to because the audience could attach to those. If you don't achieve that, then how do you expect to make sequels? This is why so many like things bomb out of the yeah, game. Yeah, because you don't care after. Yeah, after. exactly. Why am I watching? Even Joker. I mean, Joker's not a happy movie, uh, but it was amazing because that character was intriguing, uh, you know, and, and was real right mm-hmm. it felt real it felt like a lot of mental health issues that we're we're ignoring today were being ignored in that story uh or in the you know in the era that story was set in and look what happened you know so it's it's a very interesting take on i don't know i just i just find it's it's um all the movies i've ever loved had good characters and it's it's not a coincidence you know like my favorite movie of all time is heat um, oh really yeah by uh michael man yeah and you know it's the film that made me want to make uh, make films and it's all about characters you know it's it's a cops and robbers movie but it's just it's all about characters that's yeah, and, no, it's so rich yeah and even the what you would call the you know dismissively the background cast um every single person in that film is there for a reason every single character is there for a reason and they have their own worlds you could make a movie on every single person in that movie mm. and and it's you know, a good film is, is um, uh, the writers know why their characters are there and exactly what their characters are experiencing at, at any, any point. So that's something I'm trying to learn as I, as I go along. Yeah. yeah. And definitely with more experience, you'll like pick up on more stuff for sure. Yeah. So. I need to rewatch Sheet. I haven't watched Sheet since I was like 10 or something. Yeah. I just remember it being like guns and masks and Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah. Actor, right? Yeah. 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 The famous coffee shop scene. Yeah. I mean, it came out when I was 10. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, a while ago now. But, uh, yeah, I don't think... Um, I mean, it's got some of the best action scenes in, in history. Like, Grand Theft Auto 4, uh, when they made a bank robbery heist in, in the game, they based it off heat. Um, every Yeah, I mean, you watch The Town, right? Uh, ben mm-hmm. Affleck, another fantastic movie. Boston uh, movie. Big Boston yeah, movie. exactly, exactly. Uh, and he based that, uh, not based it, but like he was, it's his favorite film as well. And it was a huge inspiration. In fact, there, you know, one of the characters is watching heat in the background in the movie as, as he, as he walks in. And, uh, I think it's such an important film. And I think that maybe behind the scenes important because it's inspired a lot of people that are making films, um, today. And, uh, and yeah, of course there's that iconic coffee shop scene with Robert De Niro and what it does really well, um, the last thing I'll say about Heat, because I can, again, go on forever, <laughs> is that it builds up these two characters, Pacino and De Niro, and they never meet. You know, they meet like halfway through the film. Yeah. And you think back, how much screen time do they actually share together? Not that much. Barely so, any, yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah. And then suddenly when you've got these two guys facing off uh, over a cup of coffee, and it's more tense than any action scene you could, uh, you could imagine. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Gunfight uh, to me at, at, at the end. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, again, it's that movie's all about character. Even though the action scenes are brilliant, um, and and they train, you know, they train uh, the military with uh, um, the bank robbery scene when these guys are re- uh, retreating under fire. Uh, the Marines use that those sequences from Heat to train uh, recruits on how to retreat under fire. It's like it's. The authenticity is there, but it, it lives and dies with the characters. You know, so. Yeah. 
Totally. Wow. You could really talk about heat all day. That, that's great. Yeah, there's a bunch of movies I could talk about all day. I really, really uh, shit in the Well, come on next time and we'll talk about all the movies and whatever, of course. Sure. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Um, so, of course, uh, your movie is now getting distribution from Showtime. How does that feel as like a first time filmmaker? This is um, everything happening all at once, basically. Yeah. So I'm going to be very honest uh, with you. I don't know if it's what you want to hear, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Uh, I want to hear it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how it feels because it doesn't feel real to me yet. And I think the reason for that is, um, I've said before, like, I don't think this movie should have been made. Meaning, uh, there were so many things in the way, um, just logistically in terms of expectations, nobody expected, uh, an, uh, an Oscar nominee to be interested in, you know, a film coming out of Dubai about a billboard repairman. And nobody expected a Dubai movie to be about a billboard repairman. That's not what you think of when you think Dubai. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, even when it went to investors, like I, I went to um, 72 investors and 70 said no, you know? So like we've been, and, and from that initial starting point of going out with the screenplay and trying to pitch the film to people to today, there have been so many hurdles. Cause I mean, I produced the film as well with my, uh, with, with Umran, who's my DP production partner. Um, and from it's, you know, it's taken a long time. And so it hasn't sunk in, you know what I mean? Like, it's cool. I see it on the Showtime page and like, yeah, I did hit refresh a few times to make sure, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't me, you know, it's like, it's the digital version of pinching yourself. Uh, and, uh, it's not real yet. You know, it hasn't sunk in yet. And I think that like, part of the reason why is because, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm detached. I'm locked down here in Paris and okay. I know it's on the internet and my attorneys are talking to me about it. Uh, you know, as they're going through contracts or, you know, our sales agent, um, shoreline is, is going back and forth with us and saying, yeah, awesome. We're all good to go, but it hasn't sunk in. The reality hasn't sunk in yet. You know, it's like, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's like you've been sprinting uh, mm -hmm. uh, and then you stop all of a sudden and your body feels like you're still, you know, you're still running. So I feel like I'm still running with, with this film uh, because we just, we have been for like four years now. When uh, do you think it's going to stop? I, um, or will I it just know. never stop? Maybe, maybe when we start the next one, uh, you know, when the next one, you know, we start that process of, of going to investors and, uh, and actors, you know, the fun part. And, and pitching it to people, so. Yeah, it must feel yeah. so surreal. That's literally like the dream. Yes, surreal is, is the word. Um, surreal is the word, I think, like, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine that. I mean, like, I hope it does happen to me, but I can't imagine when it does. I hope, I hope bigger things happen to you, but uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, I think when, when you do, it really depends on your level of involvement. I know, I know directors that um, they don't have the level of involvement in their films that I have. Uh, in some ways, as a director, they have more involvement because they're not the producer, they're not the writer, they can be the director more. Probably, but for yeah. me, my main role wasn't really director and it wasn't writer, it wasn't producer, it wasn't a technical role. It was really like, get it out there, you know, whatever it is, good movie, bad movie, good script, bad script, make a film, tell this guy's story. Um, and that, I don't know, it's more like custodian, you know, it's not a proper title. But that, that job was just like, make sure this thing exists. 
And for that, the day it goes up um, on on Showtime, and you know, I'll I'll try to use a friend's account because I'm not based. <laughs> in I'll try to use a friend's account to just get a preview of it. When it goes up, then I think then then it'll be real. When I'm watching it and it's not on my laptop or it's not on one of my hard drives or something, when I'm watching it on on an independent platform, then I think yeah, then I'll go like. <sighs> but right now I'm holding my breath because so many things. It's a bad thing to say, but everything that could have gone wrong on this film went wrong. And, uh, that's what, that was, I mean, that was film school for me. I never went to film school and yeah. that taught me a lot, but at the same time, you're holding it, you're perpetually holding your breath. So when things go wrong now, I don't freak out anymore because I'm like, it's okay. It's, 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 it's worth it. I'm like, it'll work out. Sorry. And when things go right, I don't get overly ecstatic anymore. Cause I'm like, wait, you know, wait for the dot, 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 because there's very often a, a dot, dot, dot. And not to be pessimistic, but I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature. And I've had to uh, rein in my, my optimism, you know, because you're yeah. cheering and then all of a sudden someone's like, oh, but, you know, fill in the blank. And then now you have this new problem and you're like, oh. So I think once it's out there and I'm watching it on Showtime or wherever else it's going to go, uh, then, yeah, it'll, it'll be cool. It'll be cool to fire up, you know, Netflix with my girlfriend and, and, and see, uh, see a movie I made up there. You know, it'll oh be awesome. God. It's a good good feeling i'm sure so um yeah yeah neither can i yet but i'll let you know i'll let you know honestly yeah please update me on that i would very yeah, much like sure. to know the rest of the process of you just absorbing sure. everything that's going on with you yeah yeah no i i was just gonna ask like what was the hardest aspect of the film to figure out clearly there are a lot of problems when you were shooting oh yeah i mean I don't know how to answer correctly. Um, I don't know what correct is. I think the hardest thing, honestly, is um, is seeing it through. It's 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 the it's the perseverance. You know, there are way way more talented directors than me, and uh, I think that'll be evidenced when you watch the movie. Uh, I'm sure don't of... downplay yourself, dude. Oh, but genuinely, genuinely, like I mean, it's it's hard to look. People like you and me go and watch uh, a Christopher Nolan movie, right? Mm -hmm. And we come out of the theater and we're like, hey, we're competing with that guy. You know, when you make a film and it goes out in theaters, Christopher Nolan is probably still going to be making films. So people are going to walk into a theater and go or, you know, fire up Netflix and see your movie poster and his movie poster. Right. It's like and I try to explain this to people like it's just people like you and me, the audacity of that we have of just trying to do what we do and, and make films and tell stories is like. You know, it's so arrogant in a way. Like, who do you think you are to compete with somebody like that? And I love that. God. <laughs> yeah. And so there, what, what I'm, I'm not trying to downplay myself, but I'm, I'm looking at, like, I don't make excuses for myself. I don't go, oh, this is a good first movie or this is a good first screenplay. I compare it to like, hey, what's my favorite movie, Heat? How does it do <laughs> that? Nothing I, ever, wow. yeah, nothing I ever make will, you know, live up to like movies like Heat or Warrior or Nightcrawler. Uh, you know, an, an, uh, the usual suspects. These are some of the movies that really influenced me uh, growing up. But at the same time, I think that uh, what I do have going for me, it's not the talent as a writer or director or editor or whatever, producer. It's, I think, um, I don't know how to give up. And it's, and I didn't know that until I made uh, a film. It's the perseverance. I think there were a lot of people, if I can be really blunt, in my shoes who would have uh, really abandoned um, the project from a very early stage. You know, um, we got a lot of no's, and we're still. I, mean, I can't. I can't legally tell you how 
unfortunately, but we're still getting no's. Imagine like we're, we're, we're up on Showtime in, in a few days and we're still getting no's uh, on this movie for, for certain things. And, you know, it's like, it doesn't phase me uh, anymore. I think the main thing that you have to have um, as an independent filmmaker, if you come up, come up in a system where you've got a studio and someone's hand, uh, like a producer's, you know, found you and, and they're giving you a script that they want you to make, they believe in you as a director, completely different. Um, you know, my experiences don't apply to, to people like that. But if you're making a film uh, independently um, with, you know, by yourself or with a couple of close friends, uh, perseverance is the most important thing. It, it trumps talent, honestly, because I know a lot of directors more talented than me that would have thrown in the towel and said, I'm not touching this film, you know, for whatever reason. Oh, the investors pulled out? I'm not touching this movie. Uh, you know, you had this incident? I'm not touching this movie. I'm, you yeah. know, I'm, you, know uh, you want to make a, a $3 million movie for, for like, you know, a fraction of that? I'm sorry, you know, I can't do it. So, um, yeah, I think uh, perseverance was the most important thing. And, and that's, in a sense, um, I was talking to my dad um, the other day because he asked me, he's like, how do you feel? And I'm like, same thing I told you. Uh, hasn't yeah. sunk in, you know? And uh, he said something to me. He's like, you know, you kept telling me that on shoot, you didn't have time, or before the shoot even, you didn't have time to think about the craft of it. You didn't have time to think about how am I going to shoot this scene? I genuinely, because we were scrambling all the way to, to the shoot um, and putting out fires one after the other while I was on set, while I'm directing actors, I'm putting out a fire, you know, on, on the left between takes. And uh, I didn't have the ability to think about anything. So my dad brought up an interesting point and he said, basically everything that you've done in this movie is instinctive. And Sure, you may find that, oh, you could have done this better or next time you do something differently, but this is where your instincts are. And if this is just your instincts and not, you know, with, with a complete lack of education, this is just your instincts, that's pretty good. And I was like, hey, you know, that's not just the parents saying, oh, my son made a movie, that's cool. That's somebody really thinking this through, yeah. looking at, at the experiences that I had. And so what this did was it kind of told me that, okay, I have the perseverance to make another film for sure, because like, I can't picture myself doing anything else as hard as this was to get out there. So if I have the perseverance and if my instincts are represented by, you know, what Beneath the Sea of Lights is, then I'm, I'm not in that bad a place. The one question that I didn't have answered when I was making Beneath the Sea of Lights, and if someone could have answered that for me, it would have made my life a lot easier, was can Neil make a movie, right? Because when you're making your first you have no idea if you can finish it. So many exactly. first films. And I understand now the reason why, you know, in Hollywood, there's a reluctance to work with uh, a director who's never made a movie before. It's not about uh, talent. It's not about ability. It's like, hey, this is going to take the life out of you, right? And what are you going to do? Are you going to break down on set like a diva because you didn't get six white horses in the scene or you didn't get your crane shot or when you, when you wanted it? Or, uh, you know, you, you didn't have a great experience with one of your actors. How are you going to manage it? Can you close a film, right? It's basically, can you finish a, a marathon? And I don't care how you place, you can place dead last, right? But can you finish the race? And at least that question I, I answered that, yeah, I can close. So I know I have the perseverance. I don't have the talent that I, I, I want. I don't, I, I don't have the innate talent and I don't have the abilities uh, that I would like to have. But I think, you know, I'd love to learn that in the process. But I wouldn't trade 
the talent or the ability for the perseverance. Because if I did that, if I were a more talented filmmaker, but I didn't have um, the perseverance, I, the movie wouldn't have been finished 100%. You know, so I think yeah. it's not an answer I would have given you a year ago. I would have said, oh, you know, direction is important or writing is important or whatever. But, you know, if you were trying to get something made, seeing it through is the most important thing, honestly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. You don't know if you could even, and a lot of people have trouble trouble starting making their films in the first place. They have trouble putting their thought to the pen onto the paper. And they have trouble like, yeah, no, exactly what you said, closing and even trying to overcome that humongous process in the first place, which is why drive is super super important and perseverance yeah, is important. absolutely super important and the thing is like people like us like we won't take no for an answer either like we just want to prove to ourselves that we can do what we want yeah. to do no matter how much innate talent that we think we have yeah. because personally yeah, we'll we'll get better with more experience obviously but you have to start somewhere 100 percent um so when you started um doing filmmaking when you became set on, I want to do filmmaking as a career, where, how did you get to the point where you were like, yeah, I'm ready to make a feature film instead of just doing shorts over and over or doing like commercials for hire? Um, I still don't think I'm ready to make a feature film, but um, so what I mean by that is there was never a point where I said I'm ready. Um, but it, I'll try to briefly give you a quick rundown of, of how I got into this stuff. Um, I used to work in advertising and uh, I was a writer at an ad agency, um, a couple of agencies. And, you know, this was around 2009, 2010, Canon released the 5D Mark II. And I was dabbling in photography for fun. Um, and I saw this camera that could take great pictures and then it could shoot video. And I suddenly became interested in the video and uh, in the video aspect of things. And so, you know, I would have like parties uh, at my place where like uh, I would grab the camera and I would just film people, you know? So like, we'd have like a, a pirate party, right? So you got a bunch of drunken pirates. And uh, I, I remember I, I, uh, I just walked around with my 5D shooting people and I took the track shipping up to Boston and I, and I cut to that track. And I didn't know really how to edit. I kind of taught myself as I went along. That's how I basically got into filmmaking. It was kind of embarrassing. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's probably a story I shouldn't tell. But that evolved into then, you know, I would carry my camera to the agency and the agency would do like spec films, you know, like um, for, for their clients just to pitch like, oh, this is how the angle would be or this is how the idea would work. And so I started shooting them for the agency. And then, you know, I learned as I was going and then suddenly those spec films became very real, you know, um, and they started going out. And then I started, my agency started charging for them. And I was like, wait a minute, I should start charging for them. So I, um, the reason I'm telling you all this is what the, the decision, I think, for me to leave the, the security of a job and set up a film production company before I called myself a director or anything. Uh, I went to my uncle. Um, it was the only other person I know that, you know, doesn't work for someone. He, he runs his own business. And I was like, am I ready? Right? Like, I don't feel like I'm ready. I was 24. I didn't know anything. 
about anything. And, uh, and I wasn't trained. I, I didn't study film, but I had this thing of, I want to go tell stories. And my uncle was like, Hey, uh, jump and learn to fly while you're falling. And I was like, hmm, that's really, really good advice. Um, because you, 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 there's for anything, writing your first screenplay, making your first movie, you know, there's this whole thing of, am I ready? And I think a lot of that is, is, uh, fear. Um, you may legitimately be asking yourself, but you know, your subconscious might be like, yeah, yeah you're not ready yet. When nobody's ever ready, you know, say like Richard Branson says, say yes to the job and then learn how to do it. Um, and so I think that, um, I kept putting things off and I would hide behind the work. I would hide behind commercial work. I was earning, I was making a living from films. Uh, like commercials and stuff. So I would have the excuse of, oh, I got to I gotta make sure I eat next month. I can't be writing a screenplay. And the real fear was, I'm going to write a crappy screenplay. So don't start. Um, and so we eventually, you know, we made a short, my partner and I, um, called Security. And I still don't get it. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, about, it's about two security guards in the and they're guarding an empty construction site in the Dubai desert. And one guard is Indian, one guard is Pakistani. And the Indian guy has never been out of India before. So it was really about an Indian and Pakistani guy meeting for the first time in Dubai, which, which they do, and they become friends. Uh, this one, one thing I love about Dubai is it, uh, it very quickly reveals the, uh, the falsehood of that India versus Pakistan narrative that's kind of you know, the governments are against each other. The armies are against each other, but the people are like, we're, we're the same, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I made that film and, uh, and it, you know, it did well at festivals and stuff, but I still didn't feel I was ready. And I think I, I came across the story of the billboard repairman because I was driving down, um, you know, one of the main highways in Dubai. Um, I always go for a drive just to think about stuff. Mm -hmm. And I saw, I would see these guys hanging off billboards. And, um, you know, changing the, uh, the, the bulbs behind the posters or changing the posters themselves. And I remember being in advertising, I, I kind of felt an ownership of the brands that I would work on and a curiosity. You know, I was earning like, I don't know if I can talk numbers, but like my first agency, I was earning like $1,200, $1,300 a month. And I'm, I'm writing ads for like $300,000 cars, right? And I want to go to the showroom and see what that car is all about. I'm never going to be able to afford it in my life, right? But I still feel like that's my brand, right? Because I, I wrote the fine print on the copy on their ad. So I, I'm, I'm an ambassador, you know, or I felt some sort of sense of ownership. And my curiosity was, do these guys feel that? You know, these guys that come here from or come to Dubai from India, Pakistan, uh, Africa, um, and, uh, do, you know, they make like 300, $400 a month. What do they feel when they put up an ad for a Ferrari? Are they curious? You know, do they go like, Hey, I'm going to drive that car one day. You know, are there people like that? Um, or do they just ignore stuff and go, that's not for us. Uh, and that was the question I wanted to answer. Um, I wanted to write a story about a, a guy who was curious about the stuff that he was putting up. And the minute I came up with that, that's when, I felt I got to write this. And this is not a short film. It started as a short and I was like, I'm wasting my time if this is a short because I, I can't grasp this character in 10 minutes or 15 minutes. So well, sorry for the 10 minute answer to your, you know, one sentence question, but no, it's all good. Really, I only felt I was ready when I 
really had something I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted to say yet, but I knew the landscape that I wanted to explore, the character landscape that I wanted to explore. And that's when I kind of hit go. And I was like, you know what? Just, just write a draft. And it was so bad. <laughs> it was, oh my God, it was 19 drafts ago. And Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, and, and I heard those stories. Oh yeah, I wrote 21 drafts, I wrote 19 drafts. And I'm like, I'm not gonna be one of those people. And oh my God, here we are now. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely me. It was horrible, it was so bad. Uh, because I didn't know anything and I kind of had to learn as I went along. But, um, but the impetus was always from the story, uh, you know, and uh, to, I mean, I'm, you didn't really ask, but, but you mentioned that, you know, so, so, yeah, people say sometimes I'm not ready yet to write the screenplay or um, I think the, the minute or what people call writer's block, I, I don't believe in writer's block, uh, even though I felt like I faced it for many years. I think what people call writer's block is you're not yet 100% sure um, what you want to say and or what your story wants to say. And uh, some people can, can say anything really well, you know, in terms of the way they write or the way they shoot or the way they direct. Um, and, but as, a, as an audience, going back to what we were talking about with movies, with, with, with character, you know immediately when you're in the hands of a filmmaker that has something to say or a screenwriter that has something to say, right? In the first three minutes of the movie, you're just like, basically what they're saying to you is, hey, trust me, I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. right? And it's like this, it's a very, very uh, uh, comforting sort of first three minutes watching an amazing movie. It's not just that it's awesome. It's that yeah. whoever made the film, the writers, the producers, the editors, everybody, they're, they're all in control of their craft because they're all working on one direction because they all know what they want to say. Um, you know, so yeah, I think that was the other thing. The minute I kind of knew what I wanted to say, even with the second film I'm working on, I got stuck on it for ages. Um, but the minute I knew what I wanted to say, then suddenly, you know, everything starts coming up. So, yeah, no, I love what you said about, um, earlier. What was it? Ah, uh, geez. Oh yeah. You were saying something about <laughs> once the idea came into your head with this yeah. billboard repairman and stuff, you were just yeah. like, yeah. Stop thinking. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Write it down. Just figure him out. And that yeah. was the catalyst for creating your first feature. You weren't planning to make your first feature. You no. just. I wanted to. I always wanted to. It was yeah, always you always there. had the intention. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people in my position are like, I'm going to make a feature eventually, but they have no idea when they're going to do it or they don't have like a set timeline. Well, personally, I'm like, I kind of want to make a feature before I'm 25. And you were talking about earlier before we started this podcast about how in Dubai, you don't even have this infrastructure of achievements and goals and check marks to do. Yeah. Well, I think it's different now. Um, look, I, I was born in what, 86. Um, and like, so I basically, I grew up in the nineties, right. And grew, I grew up in the nineties in Dubai uh, and in Canada for a bit, but I used to watch a lot of movies. I used to enjoy watching movies a, a lot. I mean, it was my music and cinema. They're the two things that like really, mm -hmm. Um, I never, it never even occurred to me that I could make a film, you know, uh, people were like, what do you want to do? And when I was nine, my answer was I wanted to be an Egyptologist. Okay. Egyptology made sense to me as a nine-year-old, right? That, oh, that's a viable, you know, career path, but cinema somehow didn't, you know, films were like this world that, uh, 
you, I don't know. It's, it's, there's, there's this mysticism. Yeah. I, and it still is. Like, uh, you know, growing up in the 90s in Dubai, we used to rent VHS tapes from a video rental store. And I would watch everything that Hollywood had to offer. That's how I got heat and, I, you know, movies like Braveheart. And I'm really showing my age now. <laughs> um, I would rent all these videos. And I just realized, you know, that, I mean, that video rental store is closed now. But with Beneath the Sea of Lights, I've kind of, especially now that's going on Showtime, and it's in the U.S., um, more importantly, is that I'm kind of putting something back into that world. Okay, not to the scale of heat uh, yet, but, but, you know, I never thought growing up that I would be able to add to this world of, you know, magic that you see yeah. on a TV screen or, you know, at the cinema. So I, yeah, it was never a viable um, uh, career path for me because, I don't know, it just seemed so out there, right? Like it was probably more likely that I'd be a rock star than, than a film director. Um, people didn't talk about it where I grew up, you know, uh, we didn't have filmmakers, um, like we didn't have filmmakers come to schools, like even I'm um, now in Dubai, what, right before I made Beneath, I, I spoke at a couple of schools and because they wanted film directors to come in. And these were like, uh, one was a high school, one was an elementary school and one was a primary school. It's like, man, I wish a film director came to me when I was nine and said, Hey dude, you can make a movie right one day. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't the case um, for me. So I think that lost me a bunch of time uh, in terms of like my career. My career could have started a lot earlier if I had known that this was a viable option. Maybe I would have gone to film school, but I wouldn't have learned all the stuff that I, I had learned um, in, in uh, well, the, way that, the way that I did. You know, the other places I grew up were, was Sri Lanka. And I spent like six years there. High school was there basically. And it had never occurred to me that cinema was, was even a viable uh, uh, option for people, you know? I mean, it's a dream, right? Like to, to yeah. go, yeah, just to say like, yeah, I want to tell stories and make movies. I mean, even now, like I, if I go to parties, even before I made Beneath, if I go to parties, I don't tell people what I do. Uh, you know, it's really arrogant to say, but um, you know, people say, what do you do? And I say, I work in film production. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Because the minute you say I'm a film director, and they're like, oh, what do you do? And then I say, I'm making a movie. Uh, and they're like, oh, who's in the movie? I said, well, have you seen Captain Phillips? And they're like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> nobody, I mean, it's horrible, but nobody else gets a word in, um, you know? So, and, it, and it's, I don't like that. I don't like being the, there's a reason why I'm behind the camera. I don't like being the center of attention. And it's not fair because, I mean, we're lucky to be doing this kind of stuff. I don't want to be the guy at dinner that's that uh, at a dinner party or, you know, going out for drinks or something that, that everyone talks to and then, you know, nobody else gets word in. So I feel like, like, is this real? Is this my job? You know, is this what I do? And yeah, it's an awesome feeling. Like we're lucky. I mean, my, my worst day as a filmmaker uh, beat my best day in advertising. And as far as jobs go, as far as nine to five jobs go, advertising in the creative department is one of the best jobs you can have. It's great. You get to have fun for a living, but Having said that, you know, even my worst day in film is still, I don't know, you feel like, I don't know how to explain it. You feel like you're part of something bigger. And yeah. I'm very aware of the fact that, yeah, okay, I, I, play, I play, uh, play things down sometimes, or, you know, I'm, I'm very vocal about the fact that I'm not, uh, I don't think I'm the greatest filmmaker or writer or whatever. Uh, I'm very realistic about my capacity, I think. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I am aware of the fact that Good movie, bad movie, whatever. I've made something that is going to outlive me. And it says something. And I think every single person that worked on the film, 
um, from, uh, you know, from me all the way down to, you know, every single crew member. I saw the enthusiasm when we put the trailer out. Everyone felt like this is my movie, you know, and I love that. And every single person, like I got messages from my crew. Uh, they were like, hey, you know, I don't want to sound morbid, but if I pop <laughs> tomorrow, it's okay. Uh, you know, because I left something behind. I was like, wow, you know, what? A, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's the magic okay. of movies. It's, yeah, it's such a collaborative that, effort, number one. And number two, it's obviously surreal. the magic, it's surreal. And also it, it outlives you in that sense. Yeah. I haven't thought about that in a while. Wow, it yeah. must be an insane feeling knowing that you already have like a legacy of sorts. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, I hope this is, I hope I get to, to add to it. I hope this isn't my only one. But um, the people that have impacted my life the most, right? Other than my best friend and, you know, my direct family, like my parents and, uh, you know, the people that have had the greatest impact on me are people I've never met. Uh, you know, and uh, like you have that scene in Goodwill Hunting uh, where Robin Williams asks Matt Damon, right? Another great Boston movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, do you have friends? He's like, yeah. And he's like, Shakespeare, Nietzsche. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're all dead. Uh, you know, I some of, some of the people that have influenced me the most, and I don't, I don't mean in cinema, um, they're people I've never met. You know, they're musicians that unfortunately I'll never meet. And... Uh, like there's that scene in, in Vanilla Sky where, uh, okay, I don't want to say what's happening, but there's a sequence where his life flashes before his eyes. Mm. And it's just this super cut of all these pop culture references. And like from music videos, from like To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck, it's all these, uh, and that's what, you know, fatherhood was to him. And his whole life is like this, this I don't know, montage of all the stuff that he's been exposed to. And I think we're all like that uh, to yeah. a huge extent. So I know the impact that those people have had on me. And I'm in the, you know, baby steps, I guess, hopefully, of my filmmaking career. So I, there's no way this movie that I've made is going to have that kind of impact on somebody. But there's the potential for it. Somebody I never meet uh, who is never going to be able to tell me how this film impacted them is going to be impacted by this film. And it's great because I don't need the recognition just the knowledge that someone's going to watch this movie and I don't know, there might be somebody in a, in a tough financial situation who goes, yeah, like Barkhad, his character always in the movie, you know, looks at a $150,000 watch and he says, one day I'm going to wear that watch. And I have people in my family that are like that. They grew up uh, really, really rough, but they were like, one day I'm going to have that for my family. And sometimes it was something material and sometimes it was something like one day I'm going to have um, uh, a stable job, right? So that I can support. And, and for them, that was an achievement. And I have people like that in my family that, that have inspired me. And so, you know, someone might watch this one day and go like, yeah, one day I'm going to wear that watch, right? And, and they might start cutting out stuff because he has a vision board. Mm -hmm. Sleeps in a, in a bunk bed, um, the character. Uh, in, a, in a room he shares with six people and he cuts out stuff from his billboards and he pastes them uh, on, on the upper, at the bottom of the upper bunk. So he, he goes to sleep, like looking at all this stuff. And I, I genuinely know people like that. I can't name them, but I genuinely know people like that. And they got it. Oh, and how, I mean, I know people that, uh, that they got everything they wanted and more like, I, I can't even fathom how successful they are. Uh, and it just, it came from that because they used to cut out stuff and stick it on their wall and say, 
one day I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. And in a sense, there's there's a bit of a cautionary tale in in the in the, in the message of the film as well. Like, don't get wrapped up in that. But uh, you know, I'm very aware of the fact that whether it's good or not, it's totally subjective. But is it gonna impact someone? There's a strong chance that it will. And suddenly now you're part of this whole mystical, magical world of, of cinema and Hollywood and the, the the characters, you know, all of these characters that you uh, that we've grown up with. So that's um, I'm more excited about that. You know, when like people talk to me about like the success or something like that, whether it's you know Showtime or, or getting onto a platform or financial or whatever. For me, it's more like uh, I've left something behind, right? That's going to impact people in the same way that other people impacted me. That's the most important, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And it's like, it's like saying that uh, I was here, you know. Um, I lived during this era, I grew up in these cities, in, this, in, in these situations, and this is what I saw, you know, with the t- with the, in my time, this is what I saw. This is my interpretation of, of what I saw. And I think that's what every artist tries to do in a sense, whether it's uh, a musician or a painter, or songwriter or a filmmaker, so. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, that was a really great answer. Um, I was just going to point out, like, it's very interesting how you know people who are exactly like Rocket's character in the movie. It really speaks to um, not really just research, but the personal connection that you have with people who actually experience stuff like that in materialism. Um, But I'm sure it's very much reflected in the film. So this is your first feature film, right? And right before this, you had your short which yeah. security, which did film festivals and yeah. all of that, clearly a, a huge jump. So how did you secure funding for this movie? Did you already have the cast in tow when you started pitching it to people? Um, no, no, I didn't. I, so how did you, things I can't how did say, you sell it? I can't say, but um, like I'll have to be a bit ambiguous about certain things. Okay. Uh, no, we didn't have the cast in tow, um, but we had to shift tack. So... I was telling you earlier that like, you know, there's this whole kind of, you've got to be kind of arrogant, you know, in a, in a sense to even think that oh, I can make a movie. Mm-hmm. Right? And in Dubai, I didn't think that we would get funding for an international film. And I didn't think there'd be interest from, from actors. So I set out like, I, okay. So, so question, the, the film industry in Dubai is very, very, very small. It's not small. So it's, there's a huge commercial film industry okay. and there, there are feature films being made. Um, as far as I'm aware, most of those features um, are, are pushed for like for the region. Like there, a lot of them are Arabic. Yeah. And there are not many features made for the international market, you know? Yeah. Like I didn't want to make a film for Dubai. I wanted to make or for people in Dubai to watch. I wanted to make a film that people around the world could get a glimpse of Dubai while watching. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it's a totally different brief, you know? Um, so I think that uh, I started small. I thought no one's gonna, you know, let me make a Hollywood, you know, level feature here. So what if I start with like a smaller film and if I'm doing billboard repairman, most people in Dubai are South Asian, like the, the 60% or more of the population in the UAE is, is South Asian. So you have like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. And so I thought, let me make a film in Hindi, 
even though I'm, I'm Indian, I was born in India, but I'm a Canadian citizen. I can speak six words of Hindi, you know, with the gun to my head. Um, and I don't speak any other languages other than English. But if my character spoke English in the film, it, if he was Indian and he spoke perfect English, it wouldn't make sense. Demographically, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't fit. So I thought, okay, let me, let me write the film in English and make it in Hindi. And so we went to a prominent Indian actor, really, really famous, lovely guy, very down to earth, met him and uh, we're good to go. And I can't get into this too much, but things didn't work out. And the day that things didn't work out, I was like, it was one of those moments where I was talking about perseverance earlier, where I think somebody else would have bailed um, and said, you know what, forget it not this project, not right now. And I was talking to Umran on the phone and uh, I was like, you know what? Why are we thinking like, like I, I'm, I'm not, I, I look, I don't know anything about Indian cinema. I'm, I'm not, I don't feel Indian uh, in that I never lived there. Uh, I feel like an outsider there. Mind you, I feel like an outsider everywhere I go. And there's reasons for that because I moved around a lot growing up. And I like that because it gives you uh, an observer, observer status, you know, rather than, than uh, you're not partial really in many ways. So uh, so I spoke to Imran and I was like, you know, I was fed up. And I was like, you know what? Why are we thinking like, like we don't want to go make uh, films for India. Like that's not my goal because that's not what I relate to. And that's not what I understand. Uh, I want to make the kind of films that I saw growing up, right? And I was like, our whole goal for the first movie was to write um, and shoot a small film that made sense and, uh, for, for the demographic, like you know, an Indian billboard requirement that could kind of prove that we could make a movie, to then go and make a movie like Beneath the Sea of Lights with that kind of budget and those kind of actors. And I was on the phone with Umran the day, like, I mean, the, the minute that we got a no from whoever had to say no to us. And I was like, you know what? I'm fed up. Like if we're putting in this much effort, like why are we making a smaller movie to then go and make the movie that we want to make? I was like, you know who we need? I was like, you know, okay, fine. India is, is such a large demographic, but there's so many people uh, in the UAE from different, different parts of Africa. And I was like, if I could pick any actor uh, who, who, who is of African origin to play a billboard repairman in Dubai, it would be Barkat Abdi from Captain Phillips. And Umran's like, yeah and i was like yeah man and then he's like yeah but how are we going to get him i'm like you know what i'm going to get him I'm, I'm i'm going to find out i'm going to i'm going to figure out an imdb i'm just going to find his email address or his agent's email address and i'm just going to write them wow 10 minutes later i wrote to the agent and i sent it out i'm like they're never going to reply to me so i wrote i basically whenever i write to an actor um i uh, i write to their agent because that's how you got to go and i write a like a page or two letter that I signed by hand um, that's written to that actor that says, this is what the story is about. And this is why I want you for it. Um, and this is something I, no one told me that I just, I did it instinctively. And I think I'll always do it now because it's, it's not, here's the script and here's the log line. Can you please read this and tell me if you're interested? It's like, I really want you for this. Um, and, and, you know, there's a reason why I haven't approached anybody else. So I wrote that letter to Barkhad and like a week later I was on the phone with him. And two weeks later, I was in Boston at the Boston Film Festival and we had lunch with him and he was promoting uh, his film Pirates of Somalia. And we're sitting across from an Oscar nominee, Umran and I. And two weeks ago, 
you know, a couple of people said no to us. And now we're sitting across from an Oscar nominee and he's like, I love the film. We go back to Dubai with that. And we go to some of the same people that said no. And suddenly the no turned into a yes. Cause they're like, you got who? So you're shifting from like a, a Hindi film to an English language film that's geared at the US market with an Oscar nominee in the lead. And your budget is less. I was like, yeah, because the Indian actor that we spoke to uh, wanted to charge like a ridiculous amount of, of money. For an Indian production, a Dubai film is like, oh, cool. You know, this is a huge budget. India, I mean, there's incredibly efficient film industry and they make films for some tiny budgets that you can't make uh, for you know, those budgets in the UAE or in the US. And um, so ironically, I kind of, I thought uh, incorrectly that, you know, we need to make a, a film that appeals to India and uh, is in Hindi because the budget will be smaller and I can raise that budget. But it ended, I mean, for a lot of reasons, um, Beneath the Sea of Lights came in cheaper um, when, uh, it's also the, the co-production company that we worked with. The minute you have someone like Barkhad on board, a lot of people will say, what do you need? You know, because they've seen, they've seen his, his films, especially Captain Phillips, they know yeah. him. And they're like, and everyone's curious. They're like, Barkhad Abi's gonna play a Somali billboard repairman in our city. Hey, that's cool. You know, it's someone, it's something that everyone can relate to. Whereas when you have a famous, I mean, the Indian actor that we'd spoken to was very prominent, but he was a prominent Indian actor. Not everyone knows them, you know? Um, Whereas like everyone's seen Captain Phillips or and even I haven't, I mean, they've seen Barkhad from other places. So it became a lot easier um, to secure funding. It became a lot easier, not just funding. I mean, we had uh, production partners like the hotel, uh, one of the hotels we shot at, they put up Barkhad for, for nothing uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in a great room. They put up gym for nothing um, because these are, these are really, really good, well-known actors. And yeah. there was a sense of pride of like, Hey, like they're making a movie in our city. That's, that's, That's awesome. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it worked out. And again, it's that perseverance, your words, you know, not take no for an answer. That's literally how Umran and I work. It was like the day, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't drink, but I would imagine that like, if I did, my instinct would have been like, I'm going to go drown my sorrows because, oh no, my movie's falling apart. And instead we, we didn't, we don't have time to kind of grieve, you know, yeah, when things exactly. go wrong. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. I don't have time to sell um, because the minute something goes wrong, there's nobody else to fix it. It's, it's always down to me and him at the end of the day. And so uh, if you're that busy, then you don't have time to get uh, depressed. It can't, it, your depression can't catch up with you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the minute Barkhad came on board, things became a lot easier. Um, and th the whole film shifted. Like, it became a Hollywood film, which is what I always wanted to make. Um, you know, but I thought, like, making a smaller independent uh, Indian film uh, or a film for the Indian market would be a stepping stone to making a movie like Beneath. And I got to leapfrog that, you know? Yeah. Luckily. So Jim and um, Barkhad are obviously like established big actors. Did that change your filmmaking approach at all in that, the way that you direct? Um, honestly, no. Um, did you feel that... any pressure at all? I did. I, I did. Yeah, I did. I mean, I felt pressure at lunch. <laughs> you know, I felt pressure. Yeah, like, I bet. Like, like sipping a glass of water in front of this guy. And, uh, and I don't know. I think he's the first famous Hollywood actor that I've ever met. So, you know, uh, I, again, I didn't grow up in a place where you can, oh, that's like, 
George Clooney having lunch over there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, it was like, whoa. Uh, so yeah, but I think Barkhan is so down to earth. And he just made it so easy. Like he's just him, you know, there's no, there are no airs about him or anything. And he made it really easy. And Jim as well. Um, I think Jim is, is mischievous. As he seems person. like a really chill, like very he's laid very back chill. person. He's very chill. He's very laid back. He's very intelligent, but he's mischievous as a person. And I'm mischievous as a person. Like I'm a total prankster. I mess with my crew all the time. Like there's not a single request or instruction or whatever that goes out without some sort of joke attached to it. You know, I'm sure it pisses people off, but uh, you know, they have to put up with it, I guess. Um, but I think they, they were both so easy to get along with because Barkat's down to earth. Jim's also down to earth, but I could connect with both of them on, on different, uh, on different levels. And I think my, uh, my directing style uh, is working with actors is very like, I'm going to explain the scene to you from my perspective mm-hmm. and from, okay. Pulling back from that. I'm going to explain the story to you from my perspective, like in our first chats. And then I'm going to tell you what I think of your character. Right. And then when you come to Dubai and you shoot this film with me, you've lived with this character now for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, whatever it is. And if I've done my job right in explaining why your character is even there, your job is to then interpret that into a living, breathing character. Right. I don't care about the lines. They can change whatever lines they want. I never cared about the lines, but if I've done my job right, then instinctively, when you come to Dubai, you'll know how to play a certain scene. When you get, you may have questions for me. Should I do this? Should I do that? But if I've done my job right in telling you why we're doing what we're doing, you know, big picture. Yeah. Uh, I'm more of a big picture person. I'm not a details person. Uh, and that sucks when you're looking for typos in your screenplay, but it's great when you're talking to actors because you give them a lot of freedom. Yeah. And I've, I've been told by a few actors I've worked with that, that I do that. I give them a lot of freedom and I like that. Um, you know, I really feel like my job is, 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 is just to facilitate, you know, uh, I can't use bad language. Not my words. David Fincher is attributed or, you know, said to have said, hire the right people and get the F out of the way. Um, and I, I really, I, I, I subscribe to that that uh, Jim was absolutely the right guy to play the character he played. And I cannot imagine another actor playing Barkat's character to date. I mean, I've been, I've been I've sitting with this, this film for years now, and these were absolutely the right people for it. And, and I knew that from like the first scenes they played. So the fact that they were, you know, big names, um, they made it easy for me to forget that, you know, when let's put it like that. It was, it was, it's, I think it says more about them than, than me. They, I mean, I wasn't bullshitting anybody. Everybody knows it was my first film. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody took advantage of that. And, um, I think that they just made it easy for me to just talk to them like regular people, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's, it's, everything is a conversation. Um, I think, you know, I remember Jim, like on the day of the shoot, really really tense day logistically and he's like i want to pull this speech i don't like the speech i'm like okay it's like this much writing 
I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? He's like, well, I think my character would just laugh and say, run. And I was like, okay. Okay. So we shoot it. And he's like, cool, now let me do the speech. Because he's, he's a gentleman like that. He's like, okay, I thank you for, for uh, listening to me and, and doing it my way. Now let's do what's, what's on the page. Or, or the other way around. Hey, I've done what's on the page. Now can we do one take for me? And he'll always ask me, can I do one for me? Can I do one for me? So he's like, okay, cool, thanks. I've done the one for me. And uh, now let's do the, the paragraph. And I'm like, no, we're not shooting the paragraph. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to say yes to you. If I don't agree with what you said, if I don't agree that your character would just laugh and say, run, and he wouldn't give a, you know, a long speech there, then I'm not going to do it just to make you feel better. But if I buy into what you're saying, then there's no need for me to shoot the paragraph anymore. So we're wrapped. Let's move. And he's like, huh. and I was like, huh, you know, because commercial directing is all about, oh, let's do one more take for safety and then nine yeah. more takes for safety later, you know, oh, but can we try it with a pink... Uh, pink pillow instead of a blue pillow, you know, and here I am. And it's the most important thing I've done in my life so far to me. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't need a safety. I, I got the shot. I wanted it. And he played it right. You know, he nailed it. That one line. I mean, it's a great scene and he was right. So I think you, when you, when you look at the big picture and you're not so hung up, Oh, he didn't say the line that way. And he didn't do this that way. Uh, then you can allow for, for that. I think the film's better because that little paragraph wasn't in it, you know, yeah, the, the collaboration definitely stirs creativity. Yeah. Like, especially when, when it comes to directing actors. I, I like that you give that much freedom to the actors that you work with. That really I allows them to do their thing. Yeah, you've got to be confident with your material. Um, and I think it, it's easier because I wrote the screenplay. Because I always know the intention of, of the writer. Uh, you know, and I was, again, going to my folks. Um, I was talking to them about this the other day. And they're like, would you direct somebody else's script? And I said, I would hate to do that. And, uh, you know, they asked me why. And I said, it's that it's a very simple reason. When it comes to writing, I think writers are the most intelligent people, like successful writers are the most intelligent people. Um, you know, it's like, I think Robert Minky was saying, right, a writer's job is to understand the world and then explain it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> How the heck? But that's what they do. And I think they're the most successful writers, the most intelligent people. I am not one of them. And I think that if I were given a screenplay and someone told me, you know, shoot this, like an Aaron Sorkin script, okay? Someone gave me an Aaron Sorkin screenplay and said, shoot this. I would miss so much. There's so much that would go over my head, right? Yeah. And if you had to pick a director for that film, you wouldn't want a director who doesn't understand the material. Exactly. So my screenplays may be flawed. But at least I know that I'm smart enough to understand at the level of the writer, because I am the writer, right? Exactly. And you can switch smart enough and dumb enough, because as stupid as the writer is, the director is, right? And as intelligent as the writer is, the director is. You don't want, I mean, look, I don't want to name names, this is horrible, but I, you could probably think of a few directors that aren't known for cerebral screenplays. And if you give them, uh, a very intricate drama, uh, they're going to mess it up, right? So, you know, I think at least I know I can direct at, and, and, or at least I know if I, if I direct the films that I write, um, the director and the writer are kind of working at the same level. Whether that's a low level or high level, that's anybody's guess. But, uh, you know, so there's, because I wrote the script, 
there's a confidence in, in that I've understood to the best of my capacity, the material. Yeah. Now, if the same scene, if I hadn't written the script and Jim was like, hey, pull this paragraph and just do the run, right? There's no, I mean, I would have to go to the writer and, and say, hey, man, um, am I reading this for what it is? Like, how much more is there to this, this paragraph? Like, what else is he saying, you know, between the lines? What's the subtext? Have I got all of it? Because subtext scares the heck out of me. I don't grasp it um, all the time, you know? And uh, I think it was easier for me to write because I knew that, okay, I, I know exactly the intention behind that paragraph. And now that Jim's articulated it in the way that he has, I know it can go. You know? Exactly. So, yeah, I think you, you have to have a confidence in the material to be, to be able to let go of your words. Um, and, uh, and you have to always look at the story. Like if I, if I pull this scene out or if I pull this line out or if we don't have time to shoot the last segment of the scene, how does that affect the, the story overall? You know? And so when you start pulling pieces out of, of the puzzle and then seeing, okay, the film still works with it. I think uh, that gives you the confidence to just, given to your actors if they have a reason for saying, hey, I want to pull this or I want to change this or I want to add that, you know? Um, and I think that's where it came from, really. It wasn't just that I like to give my actors freedom. It was that I had a, a certain level of confidence that I've understood the script. And yeah, I, I am qualified to give my actors that freedom, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. And also just the trust that you have with the actors. Yeah, yeah. Interpret and the material the way that you have, yeah. Yeah, and they earned it. They earned it. So um, you started filming Beneath in 2018 in Dubai. Yeah. And you grew up a portion of your life in Dubai, right? Yeah. How I mean, did you approach doing the city justice and like capturing the spirit of Dubai with the movie? It's a really good question. If I can be really honest, I just put the camera down. You know, I didn't think, I didn't construct it. Um, My character travels a, a, uh, a landscape, a visual landscape from a rundown apartment that was actually being demolished or was set for demolition when we were shooting. That one of my really close friends grew up in the building next door to that in 1998. So in 1998, this was a really fancy part of town. And in 2018, it was being demolished. And to me, that said so much about the film. So my, my actor goes from you know, sharing a six person bunk bed, uh, sorry, a uh, six person room, uh, like a one bedroom apartment in that building to driving a Rolls Royce down a 12 lane arterial superhighway, you know, past a five star hotel, going to Dubai mall in the fountain. Because it did that, I think, and I think because that was the landscape, I didn't have to think much about how am I going to show Dubai? I just had to shoot because I shot the, uh, the apartment scene for what it was, you know, we, we didn't go out of our way to make it more rundown than it was. We didn't go out of our way to make it nicer than it was. We didn't go out of our, this, the city didn't need makeup. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, either to, to either look better or worse, meaning to either look more wealthier in the wealthier parts of town or to look, uh, less wealthy in the less wealthy parts of town, you know? And, and I like that, that it, we just shot what, what was there. And I worried more about the actors inhabiting the space. I never felt that the spaces were inauthentic mm -hmm. because I think maybe it's because I spent, you know, more than 25 years there. They felt real to me. And I watch those scenes now and the scenes are authentic. The places, 
it's, I mean, except for a couple of surreal elements in the film, which are intentionally surreal, it's completely feasible. Um, you know, uh, like there's a cold open in the movie, the first couple of minutes where he gets stopped at the airport by, uh, by, uh, customs officers, immigration officers that uh, aren't speaking to him in English and they speak to him in Arabic. And I've been in that situation and he freezes. He can't understand them. He freezes. And uh, he, they suspect him of doing something and we don't know what that is yet. But I've been in that situation and I watched the movie finally, uh, I think after the, 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 the Showtime thing was confirmed. For the first time I watched it as a movie that, oh, this is going to go out as a film now. I'm not looking at the editing and you know mistakes and legal stuff and whatever. And the first two minutes of the movie, I was like, whoa, that's happened to me before. You know, I've been stopped at the airport by a guy that doesn't speak English, or maybe he does, and he's intentionally putting me in a spot because that's his job, right? Mm -hmm. The immigration officer's job to make sure you haven't done anything shady. And the minute they, they know you haven't done anything shady, then they're really nice. And that's exactly what happens to him in, in the film. So um, everything felt authentic to me. I didn't have to think about Dubai. Um, I don't know if that's the answer, you know, that, that, is interesting but really we just let like we kind of some actors you just put the camera down and let them do their thing and the city was was like that you know i didn't have to show it a certain way and we didn't think about like do we make it dark here do we make it light there i know um I, I, you know in terms of colors to buy mall we want it to be the warmest part of the movie so lots of yellows and golds and it's like that so we didn't have to do too much and, uh, you know, the apartment, we wanted it to be in stark contrast to that. And I think the tendency is to go blue and cold. We didn't really want to do that. We went in green. And, um, you know, we had, all we did in the apartment was we put like a green um, little filter on the window. Uh, and just like stained glass. And one of the windows actually already was green. That's where we got the idea from. And so that kind of gives that apartment a green cast. And that's pretty much all the set. I mean, all the the dressing that we did for for dubai everything else is really it's the way you see it I, I don't feel like it's it's a color grade that works very hard um because it doesn't have that much work to do also the other thing is you know umran shoots in a very natural style which i which i love and uh so he kind of puts lights in places where you would already expect to see a light if you were standing there in front of the the actor and so i think that it feels really natural and that was the main aim, like just show Dubai the way it is. Don't think about it too much. And the other thing is, you know, from what I said, maybe three hours ago, um, we didn't have time to think about it either. So it, it worked out, you know, I didn't have time to be too mindful of how are we going to show this part of Dubai? How are we going to show that part of Dubai? Sometimes we just got there and we're like, guys, we're already 30 minutes late. <laughs> we haven't started yeah. rolling, so let's shoot. And we shot and Dubai is such an interesting city. And it's such a varied city that all of these landscapes, they look so set up. And a lot of them were by our production designer, Parnali, who's amazing. But a lot of them were just as is, you know, and we just, we just sat there, put our actors in and, you know, shot. So. Uh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, yeah. So once you're done wrapping, when it comes to production, you talked a lot yeah. about shooting already. So this film is going through post, it's being colored. It's doing whatever, right? So once it's done and once it's unlocked, how do you approach distribution as an independent filmmaker? Interesting. Um, that's what I knew the least about. And I didn't know much about anything else, so that should tell you something. 
but distribution was the big like oh what do we do there yeah and uh we kind of treated it like a you know build it and they will come kind of thing <laughs> and, and they, i mean so um, our agency uh, uh shoreline um they're our sales agents so shoreline entertainment they got in touch with us um i think last year and they said hey we saw the poster and the trade uh the poster on imdb and the setup looks quite cool uh can we have a chat about the movie and they really liked it so they got in touch with us and then they had a plan for distribution and you know uh i don't know how much i can say things got derailed obviously because of covid um you know and uh so uh, unfortunately we couldn't go the film festival route because you know it just it at this point in time it doesn't make sense we needed to get to release because everything got slowed down and you know we didn't want to wait on a film for longer than we had to exactly. so yeah with the distribution really it was more their job um to luckily they reached out to us but once they did they had the plans and then we just kind of left it with them and said okay what do you need from us uh, like you know the showtime deal obviously came came from them so they they, they know what they're doing yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just going to ask about like, was the one thing that you learned a lot about that you didn't really know about it before? And I guess like distribution really fills that. Yeah. Distribution. And I think the, honestly, the biggest lesson, um, is writing, uh, like if I go back and I watch the film for whatever reason, like bits and pieces, I'm working on a scene, I, I'm, I'm checking something to make sure that it's legally recovered. Um, you know, I watch the movie and like, uh, I don't take issue with like camera angles. I, I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh, I wish I had shot that differently or I'd done this differently. You know, when something's done, it's done. But the important things that I learned along the way um, in the last four years, you know, since the first draft of Beneath was November 2016, so really four years, is writing. You know, um, your your story, it uh, it lives and dies with the writing. And you're, if, if you don't understand that early on, then you're going to be painfully reminded of that throughout the process of making your movie. And uh, like editing a lot of editing the movie was fixing the writing mistakes, you know, uh, or tightening the writing. Even if it wasn't a mistake, I felt like, oh, man, we could have easily done this. Can we, can we do that in the edit? Or we could have lost that scene. I would have done this differently. How can we kind of try to achieve that with the footage that we have? Um, so the biggest lesson would have been that writing, you know, is, is the absolute uh, most important thing. And again, it's not about the words, you know, I've got, a lot of tattoos and one i got um is down here i don't really see it it's in latin it's a it's a phrase that says uh rem i'm gonna say this wrong but rem tene verba sequentor it means grasp the meaning and the words will follow so if you understand what you're trying to say and what you're talking about then everything else just flows from that and uh, and the reverse is also true that if you've written without understanding and you shot without understanding uh, or you're trying to edit without understanding, then you're not gonna have <laughs> you're not gonna have a good time. Yeah, no, exactly. The best craftsmen and craftswomen um, in, in the industry, whatever their job, my music composer would compose based on character. Who talks to me about character? My editor would edit based on character. I would edit based on character. My cinematographer 
would shoot based on character. Um, my sound um, uh, mix team would do the sound mix and make mix decisions based on character, right? And these are people that are far removed from the writing process that happened, you know, four years earlier. But that's how important this stuff is. It's always about the story. Uh, you know, that's the most important thing that I learned. So what that effectively did is it like kneecapped me for writing the second screenplay. Because now every word I write, I'm like, uh, what are the consequences of this statement or is this sentence uh, yeah. uh, four years down the road? <laughs> you know what I mean? But hopefully I'll get over that. It's like the opposite of writer's block. It's, it's like this paralyzing fear of, oh my God, now that I understand how important writing is, what do I, uh, what do I write now? You know, or how I'll do I keep that in mind because that yeah. actually sounds terrifying. Thinking about like how you're, when you're writing, sometimes things just like, not even fly over your head. You're just like, oh, we'll fix it in whatever, but yeah. then you can't fix it in whatever especially with a large scale project like the one that you're working on with. Yeah, me. right, and you can fix a lot of mistakes in post and you can fix a lot of writing um, in, in post. You know, uh, they say films written three times, right? When you write yeah, exactly. script, you the script and when you edit. So you can fix a lot in post. The, the film that I edited was not the film that I wrote. You know, mm. thank God. <laughs> uh, I'm not talking about the first draft. I'm, I'm talking about like the final shooting yeah, draft. Yeah, thank yeah, yeah. And that, you know, so, um, yeah, it's important. Uh, if I can, if I can push somebody um, here, you know, the one thing that because I say so much about writing that makes thing, makes it scary and it's scary, but there was one really short book that demystified this whole process for me, and um, it's called the Nutshell Technique by Jill Chamberlain, and so she has this theory that um, I subscribe to. I'm gonna really mess this up if she hears this she'll kill me but um if you if if your character doesn't change right or fail to change um if they don't have a flaw that either they overcome if your film is a comedy or they fail to overcome if your film is a tragedy then you don't really have a story you've got a scenario you've got a setup right and in this nutshell technique, she has these, it's, it's literally, it's a chart and it's got these eight blanks that you have to fill in. And if you have those eight blanks in place, you'll have a cohesive story. And it's that simple. It's, it's these, it's these inter, uh, interconnected elements that demystify the whole process. Now she doesn't tell you how to write. And I don't think any real writer would ever tell somebody how to write, uh, because that's so subjective. But this is like a compass, like you kind of create a roadmap um, for yourself. And I've read, I've read a lot of books and, you know, there's a lot of stuff to subscribe to. But like if I could recommend one to, to people, it would be this one because it just demystifies the whole process. And when I applied this to the new movie that I'm working on, uh, suddenly I knew how to make sense of it. And my writer's block went away because I understood the meaning of what I was saying. I understood my character's flaw. And I understood that I want them to overcome it. And I understood that, you know, you only overcome your flaws, your real character flaws in a moment of crisis. So you need a moment of crisis. What's the, I mean, a lot of the stuff is, you know, things you already know, like the point of no return, um, the crisis uh, point of the film, but why they're interconnected, you know, she explains really well. So I think it's super scary. Writing is terrifying, but 
if you have a solid compass like that, then I think you're you're okay. Because no one can find your movie for you, but someone yeah. can kind of tell you. I really wish I read this book before I had written the first draft of Beneath, because I would have saved a lot of those nineteen drafts. Mm. But uh, I, I think that it, it made the process a lot easier, you know. And that's also something to keep in mind, like you know, throughout the movie when you're shooting it as a director. Like the, the basic stuff that, you know, directors that don't want to write, they need to understand the basics of writing, you know, to be able to direct the scenes. Uh, and I've been in so many situations where actors know more about writing than directors do because they're so used to theatrical and, and structured pieces, for example. Exactly. And uh, the directors, they're not a writer and they don't want to be a writer. That's fine. But there's some fundamentals you got you to gotta understand, I think, to direct narrative well or effectively. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I felt bad because I'm saying the whole time that writing, oh my God, is so scary. But at the same time, like there are things that can help demystify that process for you. And this was definitely one of them for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to definitely look up that book. I just wrote it. Oh yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a quick book. Yeah. Well, she, she explains it really well, much better than I do. <laughs> I can't wait to dig into that. And I also can't wait to watch the movie when I finally have time and when it finally goes on streaming on Showtime. Sure. I can send you a private screener uh, if you like. Ooh, that'd be very. Ah, uh, no, I would love that actually. Yeah, well, but... thank you so much for everything. This has thank been you. a great conversation. Sorry for the long chat. Yeah, no, I really. This was really good like... and really helpful for me as a filmmaker, and probably the people who are listening to this who have the intention of making films as well. You really go into detail, and it's clear that you're talented, driven, and passionate about what you do as to regards with films. So, like, what what could the audience check out now, and what's next? basically just really quick what's next um so the film i'm working on is called epitaph mm -hmm. and uh Maran and i are writing it right now it is set in ancient egypt and uh before the pyramids so the setup is an ancient egyptian stonemason tries to smuggle his father's body into a tomb fit for a king Ooh. yeah it's a heist movie in ancient egypt and what's at the heart of the movie is it's about guilt you know, um, it's about guilt that uh, we carry every every single one of us. We've got some form of guilt or, or another. And we often sometimes don't even know that we're carrying it, but we don't know how to put it down. And this is the story of a character driven by guilt who just really doesn't know how to put it down. And that's really the heart of uh, it's a heist film in ancient Egypt, but that's that's what it's all about. Awesome. So um, people who listen to this podcast could follow you on? Uh, uh, on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. In, your, in your socials? Uh, oh, all right. My handle? Uh, it's Neil was here. So Neil dot was dot here. Perfect. Well, that's a wrap on the PRISM podcast. I'm your host, Rodrigo Mariano. Thank you very much, Neil. This has been a very Thank enlightening you. conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, you can follow my socials at, at DragonsFoe and at PRISM Media Official. Thanks for watching and I'll see you next time.